Welcome to the Mercy Commons podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. Uh, I'm just going to dive right in. Um, this, uh, this week has been interesting as um, I've been preparing to continue I Got a Work series. I've been chatting with, with Neil and just the whole idea of how our identity gets attacked within the context of our vocation. Um, and even especially as, as Neil has been through the season of, um, of the gym ending, one of the things that, that, um, that Sean and I were talking about was when something ends, that doesn't necessarily mean it's wrong. That just means that it ends and there are often new beginnings. Uh, and yet what the enemy does and what the will does is take this as a great opportunity to pummel us in the context of those new seasons. Um, there was a, a little monk by the name of Martin Luther and uh, he, I know it sounds like I'm going to say a joke, I'm not, uh, you know, he did actually exist and uh, he was pivotal in something called uh, the Reformation. And um, God used him and many others to restore five kind of key principles to us. Uh, and those principles were Scripture alone, Christ alone, faith alone, grace alone, and to the glory of God alone. But what was also restored during this time, the Protestant Reformation, was the idea of a primary and secondary calling. Uh, the idea that our primary call was to be with our Creator to abide in Him, and recognizing that our security and our value and our worth flows from intimate relationship with the Father, not through any kind of priest or any kind of intermediary. And it's when we understand at a deep level what our principal call is that we can be effective in what Os Guinness calls our secondary calling. And so that's what I'm going to be speaking about this morning. I'm going to look at Genesis 1, verse 26 to 30, and the reason it's important is because we're going to look at our original vocation of relationship in function. So those, those little prepositions are important. Our original vocation of relationship in the context of function. So Genesis 1, verse 26, I'm reading out of the Common English Bible. Then God said, let us make humanity in our image to resemble us so that they may take charge of the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all of the earth and all of the crawling things on the earth. God created humanity in God's own image and said to them, be fertile and multiply. Fill the earth and master it. Take charge of the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky and every crawling thing on the ground. Then God said, I now give you all the plants on the earth that yield seed and all the trees whose fruit produces its seeds within it. These will be your food. To all the wildlife, to all the birds in the sky, and to everything crawling on the ground. He really likes those crawling on the ground. Everything crawling on the ground, to everything that breathes, I give all the green grasses for food. And that's what happened. Genesis 2 verse 15, we continue. And the Lord God took the human settled him in the Garden of Eden to farm it and take care of it. Now, the Greeks and most of the Near East uh, did not believe that work in any way was dignified. In fact, Aristotle said that what qualified you for a worthwhile life was that you didn't have to work. So his focus was that he wanted to become like one of the gods, separate, solitary, separate himself from earthly possessions, separate himself from that. The, the only life worth living was if you didn't have to work. 
Now, unfortunately, this idea was rekindled in the medieval age, and work was seen as a barrier to a spiritual and contemplative life. And society was divided into what are called three estates. And the first estate was the clergy, and the clergy were too busy with themselves with praying and serving God. The second estate was the nobility, and they didn't work because their role was to fight and rule. And then it was left to the third estate, the common people, and they were to engage in earthly toil and the drudgery of labor. I think in all of that, though, we forgot the incarnation that Jesus was incarnated as a carpenter, a builder, and not as a philosopher, and not as a king. Even in Jesus' incarnation, there is a dignity and sacredness that is given to work. Even today, when we think about work, it doesn't carry this innate sacredness. When we've even divided work, you know, we talk about blue-collar work, and we talk about white-collar work, and even in our own minds, there is some work that is better than others. There is some work that we desire to do and other work that we don't desire to do. There are things that we do that maybe we're a little embarrassed about, and there are things that we uh, want to pursue. I remember, and some of you know the story, I remember going to have my blood taken at Kaiser, and, um, and uh, I put my arm out there, and she was real thrilled because she didn't have to dig around for veins. And, uh, and I was wearing this green T-shirt with the recycle emblem on it. Do you, you remember that? Those three green arrows, you know, the recycle emblem? And so she started talking to me, and, um, and uh, she said, oh, are you going to go to work today? And I said, yes, I'm going to go to work. She says, where do you work? I said, I'll work at a church up the road, you know. And she said, oh, are you the janitor? <laughs> and uh, I was shocked. And I looked down, and I'm thinking, does she think I'm the janitor because I'm wearing the recycle shirt? Does she think I'm the janitor because maybe I didn't come across quite as eloquent or knowledgeable as I should have come across? And then as I, as I left, still totally confused, I got in my car, and God said to me, so what if you were the janitor? Why was that so offensive to you? And I, I was like... I don't need this right now. I've got a hole in my arm, I'm, you know. But, but it was in that moment where I realized that even in my own mind, I had created levels of work. And there were levels of work that you would aspire to, and there were levels of work that you wouldn't aspire to. And, and that's one of the things that the Reformation, within the context of the priesthood of all believers, changed forever. The Reformation didn't just change religious life. It changed every aspect of life. Because whether you were the monarch, whether you were a monk, or whether you were a mill worker, this was the idea that you could be as close to and as useful to God because everyone was a priest. And the idea that we served and loved God through our vocational calling in our everyday work was recovered in that moment. And we have been fighting to keep that recovery for so long. Os Guinness talks about the secondary calling, and he says that we're called to four things within the context of our secondary calling. The first thing that we're called to is we're called to be part of the human family. And this we see in Genesis, where God says, go forth and multiply and fill the earth. We're called to be part of a human family, a brother, a sister, son, daughter, father, mother. The family is one of the ways that we are to fill the world with the image of God. It's one of the ways that we participate in what's called the cultural mandate. 
The second thing that we're called to is we're called to the church, to a local expression of the church, because we know that all members of a church possess different spiritual gifts, natural gifts, and abilities, and we're to use these gifts for the building up and strengthening of the body so that we can carry out the purpose of the church, which is to glorify God. We're also called to the common good of the nation that we find ourselves in. The gospel commands us to serve God's purposes in our world through civic, through social, and through political means. Alistair McGrath, who's a cool Irish theologian, said this, The work of believers is thus seen to possess a significance that goes far beyond the visible result of that work. It is the person working as much as the resulting work that is significant to God. There is no distinction between spiritual and temporal, between secular and sacred work. All human work, however lowly, is capable of glorifying God. Work is, quite simply, an act of praise, a potentially productive act of praise. Work glorifies God. It serves the common good, and it is something through which human creativity can express itself. I love that. Basically, that is hopefully what I'm talking about today. So how do we joyfully engage in what Os Guinness calls our secondary calling? Well, firstly, we need to recognize that our secondary calling has to flow from our primary call. So then the question you should be asking is, what is then our primary call? Our primary call is to love God and to love our neighbor. Is that a job-specific call? No, it's not a trick question. It's not a job-specific call. You can do that in any job. You can love God and you can love your neighbor. The second thing that we do in the context of our primary call is we are called to be spiritually formed. God has called us to be with Him. And one of the things that God has said is it's okay not to be okay, but it's not okay to stay there. And so one of the things that God has called us is to form us spiritually, to be with Him. And being with Him means that we engage with the Spirit as we, we are being transformed from one degree of glory to the next, conforming to the image of His Son. So we're to love God, love our neighbor. That's our primary call. We are to be spiritually formed into the image of Jesus. And then thirdly, we are to walk in the good works that God has prepared in advance. Now, how many of you have been in church for a while and you've heard that before, right? You are to walk in the works that God has prepared for you in advance. Now, that can be a hugely encouraging thing. It can also be a very discouraging thing. Because depending on your phase in life, and depending whether you're feeling like you are walking in a work that God had designed for you, you read that a little differently, don't you? Let me tell you my story in terms of calling. In 1988, some of you weren't even born in 1988, but in 1988, I came to faith. I came to faith as a junior, and I remember sitting in a parking lot a year after that with a friend of mine, and I said to him, all I want to do is travel the world and tell people about Jesus. And he said, I think God might be calling you. And I said to him, well, how, how would you know that? And he said, because not everybody wants to do that. And I said, they don't? Not everybody wants to do that? That's ridiculous. So it was at that point that I decided that I wanted to go and study at Bible college. I went to my dad, and my dad said, no, you are not. If you want to go to Bible college, you're going to finish your degree, and then I'll pay for you to be a Greek Orthodox priest. 
It's like, that did not sound appealing to me. This was not what God had called me to do. So I finished my degree in human resource management, and then I entered my call. No. Then I got a job. I got my first job at Adcock Ingram Pharmaceuticals, and I was, for all intents and purposes, an intern. I was paid, barely, but I was an intern at Adcock Ingram at the same time serving God's church. Then in that moment, I had another epiphany. The way that God wanted to use me within the context of my calling was through the local church. And so I started pursuing that. Years went by. 1997, I married Karen, and in that, it was so 1989 to 1997, it was at that time that I was invited to come onto eldership at um, the first church that we were at. Fast forward to 2002, we land here in the United States, and we have been called by God, no question about that. What am I doing? I'm at home. I'm Mr. Mom. I'm taking care of Kiona, is driving both of us insane. <laughs> I took Kiona to the Home Depot every day because it was free. That's what I did. And I remember feeling real sorry for myself. No one was enjoying this. Karen was not enjoying this. She was working in her vocation as a teacher. I wasn't enjoying it. Kiona wasn't enjoying it. Karen came home one day and she said to me, you really need to grow up. Do you understand the privilege that you have of being at home to be able to focus on your relationship with God and with your daughter? So I needed that. I needed that to realize that because I couldn't have this clear sense of secondary call, what I was actually not investing in was my primary call to be a son and to do what God had called me to do, which was to raise my daughter at that time. A couple of years, no, a year after that, uh, I was brought onto staff, not as a pastor, but I was brought onto staff as a project manager, which was one of the many things that I did in those 10 years from when I was called to when I was ultimately an elder. I have seen God's kindness and provision and leading in every secondary role that I've played. And I'm not naive enough to believe that this is the last secondary calling that I'm going to play because I know this. My primary call being solidified and foundational means that whatever God calls me into the future is going to buoy my soul because He's going to be present in it based on the way in which I view it. So... The question is, do we see our work as a response to our primary call? Do we see it as a way to serve our neighbor and bring glory to God? If we do, then what we do begins to fade. If we don't, though, and if we see it as a tool for self-actualization, if we see it as a tool for meaning or a vehicle for financial security, then what we do will matter more than how we do it. The second thing that will help us bring joy to our context of vocation is understanding that work is not a curse. Now, I know you're sitting there biting your tongue. Uh, you don't know my situation. You don't know my boss. Megan's not saying that. But, um, <laughs> right, Megan? You're not saying that. Okay. 
Work is not a curse. The idea that leisure and vacation or retirement is the restoration of the Garden of Eden is just patently wrong. We see work as a necessary evil or punishment and something that prevents me from being truly human. However, what we don't recognize is that paradise had a cycle of work and rest. That's what the Garden of Eden was. The fall of man and the brokenness of our world did not create work, but what it did do was make it more difficult. In Genesis 3 verse 17, God is speaking to the man. He said, because you listened to your wife's voice and you ate from the tree that I commanded, do not eat from it. Cursed is the fertile land because of you. In pain, you will eat from it every day of your life. Weeds and thistles will grow for you even as you eat the field's plants. By the sweat of your face, you will eat bread and until you, until you return to the fertile land, since from it you were taken, you are soil, to the soil you will return, or you are dust, and to dust you will return. Work is part of our original intentional design prior to sin entering the world. It's the way that we engage with our surroundings, give meaning to them, and steward them for God's glory. It's the way that we were designed to flourish. That's why so many people that are either unemployed or retirement or retired or don't have work are lacking this sense of focus and direction because the, we were designed to work through our primary calling into our secondary one. Now, I'm aware. I'm aware. We live in a fallen world. I'm aware that because we have dis disordered desires, work can be frustrating, a source of pain, boring, even abusive, and we're going to talk about that in later installments of God at work. But unless we stop seeing work as a curse and begin to see it as creative service, we will never allow the fullness of what the Spirit is doing in us through our work to come to fruition. Work is creative service. It's also an idol revealer. It's also a sanctifier. It's a tool for mission, and it's worship. Now, we know that not all work is good. Uh, we know that work is only good in the context of God being glorified. No one is saying that the money that is being made in the context of human trafficking is good. No, so it's not all work that it's good. It's, it's work that is glorifying God and His creation. Now, the, the naming of animals is interesting here. I'd be like, I'm a control freak. And if I created something, I don't know that I want someone else to name it. I'd be like, I made that, and I'm going to give it a name. But God makes all of these animals, and then He brings them to Adam and Eve, and He says, now you name the animals. And the reason that He did that was because right at the beginning of creation, I believe God wanted to show that work is about the idea of creative authority. When you name something, there is an authority that you have to actually be able to name something. You're exercising some kind of authority, and there's a creativity in being able to name something. And right at the beginning, God is modeling to us that we, are, that we can bring order out of chaos, that there is a, a creativity to work. Farming, software engineering, music composition, parenting. Now, they may not seem that creative to you. Maybe music composition in your mind is creative. There's nothing more creative than parenting. Parents, right? There's nothing more creative than parenting because you're taking what is there and you are refashioning it by the grace and empowerment of the Spirit to be able to make something and remake it. Our work shapes culture. Think about this. When you woke up this morning, you turned on the tap. 
You didn't even think about where that water came from. Why? Because someone previous to you shaped culture to the point in which you could wake up, turn on the tap. So years from now, what are you going to shape and create so that someone else can benefit from the way in which you have creatively served mankind? We are creators, connectors, cultivators, protectors. We are restorers. In our life group, I will ask the question, let's not say what is it that we do, but what is it that we are bringing in the context of our work life? Our, our life group is pretty awesome in terms of spread. You know, we have someone that works in roofing, a dancer, a composer, an FBI agent, a teacher, a doula, um, a professor, a designer. We have all of these people. And yet one of the most interesting things a couple nights ago was saying, how do you tell me what you do without telling me what you do? And so the question is, what are you creating? And so we, we all agreed, like for Karen, whether she's a doula, whether she's a teacher, she creates spaces of safety. And so when you think about your work like that, and I want you to do that right now, I want you to think, what space am I creating? But right now, ask God through the Holy Spirit, what am I creating? What am I restoring? What am I adding? What am I securing? What am I stewarding? Just ask Him to speak to you now. It's not about what I do, but what I'm creating in the context of what I'm doing. Spirit, right now, I want to pray, especially for those that are bored and stuck. I want to pray that you would give a revelation in terms of the creative authority that you have given us in the context of our work. Where we feel bored or beaten down, my God, in the name of Jesus, help us to understand that through your grace, we are creators, restorers, adders, securers, we are those that are stewarding your creation for the common good. Thirdly, and probably most importantly, your work matters because you matter. Your work matters because you matter. You have been created in the image of God. In Genesis, the word image of God means far more than a physical resemblance. It means that we embody and express the essence of God. Every single one of us. Psalm 8 verse 3 says this, When I look up at the skies, at what your fingers have made, the moon and the stars that are set firmly in place, what are human beings that you think about them? What are human beings that you pay attention to them? You've made them only a little less than divine, crowning them with glory and grandeur, and you've let them rule over your handiwork and put everything under their feet. This is as simple, wow, this is as simple as saying, my work matters because I matter. I have artwork from some pretty cool artists in my home. The most precious piece of artwork in my home is not from them. It's from my kids. Why? Because they matter. That work matters more than the most expensive piece of artwork that I could buy. And so one of the things that we've got to understand is that the reason why our work matters is because we matter to God. 
Unfortunately, these days it's flipped. These days what the world screams at us is you matter because of what you do and what you produce. And what God is saying, and hopefully what you're hearing, is what you produce matters because of who you are. Our work matters because the material world matters. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about the idea that God is always people, planet, prophet, in that order. It's about people, it's about the planet, and then about prophets. Just as much as God created you, He also created your co-worker, and He also created the world in which you inhabit. So one of the challenges that we have as Christ followers is to tear down this idea of sacred and secular, of intellectual and physical divide. That somehow computer programming is more noble than digging a ditch. It's not. Depending on the need, the person that is digging the ditch is seen of higher value. Ultimately, remember, it's our principal value that we need to secure. Now, Christianity is not about escaping the physical world or our physical bodies. It is about integrating ourselves first, body, mind, and spirit, into a world that God has lovingly created, even though it's broken, for us to inhabit and steward in a way that shows the glory of God. So firstly, we are to integrate ourselves, and then we are to integrate ourselves into the world that He loves, not to become stained by it, because that's the other thing the Bible says, but to integrate ourselves in such a way that we are able to call the beauty out of that in a way that it glorifies God. The more joyful you are, the more flourishing you produce, the more glory you give to your Savior. Your work matters because you matter. Your work matters because the material world matters. And your work matters because it brings glory to your Creator. It's only possible to bring glory to someone that you are in intimate relationship with. On Friday night, Saxon um, honored Steph publicly. It's one of my favorite things, when a husband honors a wife, a wife honors a husband. You can do that, and it's meaningful, because there is a depth of intimate knowledge there. And so the honoring that he produced and the gift that he gave it was meaningful, because there was a deep sense of relationship there. And we can only glorify God if we have a deep, intimate relationship with Him. Now, remember we started with the idea of the five solas. Christ alone, scripture alone, Christ alone, faith alone, grace alone, to the glory of God alone. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And all of our image-bearing capacities and faculties are put on power-up when we have submitted to Jesus. And the Spirit is actively at work in us. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is a Christ-clarifying Spirit. And so what he wants to do is to be able to clarify the person and work of Jesus and bring glory to him. Your work matters because it brings glory to God, your creator. Why? Why are you doing your, meaning, your menial in, you know, job? Why are you doing your menial job with such excellence and such joy? Because I want to bring glory to my creator. Because my work matters because I do. Because this world matters and I understand my primary call. Because I know who my God is. I had a pretty horrible day a couple days ago. I just needed to get out the office at the back. And um, I was just not responding in a positive way. So I decided I was going to go and get a sandwich. And because food always helps. <laughs> and uh, 
I go to this little mom and pop sandwich store, and uh, I'm, I'm still in a bad mood. And I'm like, just remember, you're carrying the grace of God with you. You probably are also wearing a Mercy Commons t-shirt. Don't be a jerk, okay? <laughs> so I walk in, and I, I, I just say to the lady, hey, can I have, you know, I, I, I was a little confused. I was saying to her, I don't know, uh, cashew chicken salad. And she's like, we're out of cashew. God. And I'm like, yeah, you know, we have a bad day, and something as stupid as the fact that they're out of cashew chicken, you're like, the world is against me. Why? Why, God, you know? And so I literally was like that. She says, but we have other things, you know? I was like, but we have other things. And I'm like, it's okay. She said, no, wait, wait. And she went, and she got me a taste. She says, this is our Waldorf salad, and, and this is our chicken. And then, I, and then I started to feel bad. And then I'm like, I need to buy like maybe three or four sandwiches now, you know? Make a, you know? And then she says, I'll make you a sandwich. And so um, she, she like makes me the sandwich. She, she brings it out to me, and there's no tomato on the sandwich. Now, that, that, okay, I know. No, no. There's no such thing as a burger without tomato. There's no such thing as a sandwich without tomato. It is an essential part of the sandwich. There's no cashew chicken, but I'm getting my tomato, okay? You can't be out of tomato. So now I'm like, okay, well, what do I do? Do, do like, I say anything? And she looks at my face. Clearly, I am not a good poker player. She looks at my face, and she says, is everything okay? And I said, do you have tomato? She's like, I'll go get you some tomato. And so she takes the sandwich back. She gives it back. And in that moment, I was... You guys, are you going to lie? I was deeply ministered to, okay? <laughs> because I thought, here's a woman, and she owns a sandwich shop. She's making sandwiches. How many of us are like, yeah, that is a worthwhile vocation. I want my child to own a sandwich shop. You know what I mean? And in that moment, what she did was everything that I was talking about here. I don't know if she knows Jesus, but I can tell you this. The image of God shone through this woman. And I left there with a full tummy and a full heart. And I thought to myself, it is possible, it is possible to glorify God even if that is not your intention. Because I felt seen and honored in that moment. Okay. You guys are saying, like, this guy's not okay. You know? <laughs> okay, yeah. That's right. Give me a sandwich with tomato and cashew nuts. Okay. Who am I and why am I here? Those are the two big questions, right? Who am I? Why am I here? John, Jesus answers that in John's gospel when he says, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him it is he that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. We have to resist the idea. Remember, God created Adam and Eve to care for his creation. There was relationship in function. We abide to be fruitful. There is the call to abide, which is our primary call, so that we can be fruitful. They're not separated. They're not separated. Some of us are more focused on the fruit. Some of us are more focused on abiding. What Jesus is reminding us is that fruitfulness comes from abiding. Put another way, and Patrick, you guys can come up. Paul says to the Ephesian church, 
You are saved by God's grace, sola gracia. Because of your faith, sola fide. This salvation is God's gift. It is not something you possessed. It is not something you earned or accomplished. It is something that you cannot be proud of. Instead, we are God's accomplishment. We, you and I, are God's accomplishment. We are His workmanship. We are His poema. We are His poem, His work of art. We are His, created in Christ Jesus, sola Christus, to do good things. There's a purpose for which God has called us. God planned for these good things to be the way in which we live our lives. It's a different translation to what I mentioned before. As God has prepared good works in advance for us to walk in, and that is for all of us. So maybe this morning, you've been pursuing your primary identity through secondary means. Maybe this morning there's a sense of not understanding who you are because you're trying to find that in your secondary call. Or maybe this morning you've lost the joy and purpose of your primary call because of the difficulty or boredom you're experiencing in your secondary call. Maybe this morning you just need God's help to see work as a creative act of service rather than a necessary evil. Grace, do we have that slide on one or, or two? On one. I want to land with this. I'm going to read it, but then I want us to silently read this and say, can I say this about myself? At the core of my spirit, I'm not a successful person or a failure, a wealthy or a poor person, a person who needs to be honored, a good person or a bad person. At the core of my identity, I'm not, my, sorry, at the core of my identity is not being a good leader, a good worker, entrepreneur, father, mother, husband, wife. It's not even being a kind person or an angry person, a driven person or effective person. I was created for union with God. I came into this world in sin but longing for perfect love. Because of the cross, I'm now clothed with Christ's righteousness. He has given me full pardon from guilt and full acceptance from God. I am precious in His eyes. God calls me His beloved. This is who I truly am. I want you to spend just 30 seconds asking God, can I say that? Am I able to say that? Thank you for listening to the Mercy Commons podcast. If you enjoyed today's content, please rate us and hit subscribe. And if you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at mercycommons.church.